This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. As we make our way through the AFC East, we take a detour to South Florida to do a deep dive and take a closer look at a team that has always seemed to have our beloved's number in Adam Gase's Miami Dolphins. Can the Dolphins get back to the postseason? And what will it take to get there? Kevin Noble from SB Nation's Finsiders joins us on the AFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Our journey through the AFC East continues with last year's third place finisher, the Miami Dolphins. And then we move on to Buffalo, New England, wrap them up and onto the NFC West. And before you know it, it's time to talk about our beloved and wrap this sad boy up and go into training camp and the preseason. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for part two of our AFC East preview of the Chicago Bears review. Kevin Nogle from Finsiders on SB Nation and Finsider Radio Podcast will be joining us here in a few moments to talk about the 2018 Miami Dolphins, where things went wrong after a 2016 playoff appearance. 2017 was supposed to be, you know, a big year for the Dolphins. Year two of Adam Gase, another year under the offense for, for Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill hurts his knee in training camp and basically the wheels come off from there kevin and i talk about that quite a bit going forward as uh, you know what happened in 2017 that the dolphins weren't able to capitalize on what took place in 2016 i mean it was it was funny you hear us talk about it um what started as a one in four season ended up 10 and six and in the playoffs for the dolphins in 2016 then they come out in 2017 they start four and two and then finish six and ten so polar opposites of the two seasons you know it's like it was a a slow start with a big finish and a playoff appearance last year fast start you know turtle crawl finish no playoff appearance picking number 11 overall just outside the top 10 uh in the draft so lots of questions about whether or not the dolphins should have gone after a quarterback what their focus was going into the draft and the offseason the moves that they made and uh kevin's frustration about those moves in the offseason that he's hearing from the so-called experts and and so on uh in the in the media and things like that about why the Dolphins are pretty much already done for 2018 because of what they've done in the offseason. So we cover quite a bit, uh, and it was a really good conversation. Looking forward to talking to Kevin again when the Bears and the Dolphins meet up for week number six uh, in Miami this time around. So uh, we'll see how uh, we'll see how that goes. So, I mean, like you heard me say in the open, this is a team that has always seemed to have the Bears number. Um, a team that, that ruined the Bears' perfect season in 85. Um, but talking to a lot of the players in 85, you, you realize that a lot of them kind of saw it as a blessing in disguise because the, the pressure of going undefeated was no longer on their shoulders. Now they could just play football and win. 
and uh, not have to worry about being perfect. So maybe it was the best thing that happened to them. And then, you know, not going perfect and not having that on their shoulders the whole time. Still would have been awesome to see the Bears do it, though. And then, of course, in 2006, uh, the Bears are undefeated going into a like week seven, week eight matchup with the Dolphins, who only had one victory at the time. They come to Soldier Field and paste the Bears, you know, breaking our perfect record once again in what turned out to be another Super Bowl season for the Bears. And then their last visit to Soldier Field in 2014 uh, was the beginning of the end of Mark Tressman, in my opinion. That was the that was the game where after Miami got done thoroughly embarrassing the Bears at home in front of their home crowd, they were booed off the field and everything. You just hear the the walls breaking inside while the reporters are waiting to go inside to talk to the players. All you hear is yelling and screaming and arguing amongst themselves and whatnot. And that was that was the news more than what the players actually had to say once the reporters got in there. I mean, it was just madness. And it was the Dolphins. It was the loss of the Dolphins that kind of set that uh, into motion. So this is an organization that, the you know, you always seem to be snake bit against one team or another. And for one reason, even though we only play them once every four years or so, uh, it always just seems that it's... Uh, it's always a culmination of something when the Bears and the Dolphins uh, get together. So uh, hopefully this will be the opposite. And year one of Matt Nagy will include the Bears breaking the curse of the Miami Dolphins. So we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, on that. But a couple of quick things to go over before we get to myself and Kevin uh, talking about the uh, 2018 Dolphins. Um, speaking of 2018, I saw a very disappointing headline today. Uh, MMQB, the Monday morning quarterback, um, has predicted the Bears were only going to win four games this year. Uh, they didn't break down which ones, uh, but they were, you know, laying it down that like, oh, well, they got to play the Seahawks and the Rams and the, the surging 49ers. They got the, the, the Vikings and the Packers are going to be better with the, with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, they always have tough games with with Detroit and the Giants are going to be better this year and so on and so forth. And basically they... You know, the Bears don't have, uh, you know, they're not giving the Bears the 50-50 shot to win every game that every game, every team has going into the, the game. And like, no, it's like 12 losses for this team. They're actually, even though our, our roster is going to be infinitely better than it was a year ago, we're somehow still not going to do better than uh, five or six wins uh, this year, according to them. Now, um I'm in the eight and eight, nine and seven range on where the the Bears might, and and I'm not going to sit down and break down, you know, wins and losses. At least not right now. I'll 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 give in and do that after we play the final preseason game. After we've seen this team play a little bit and and uh, you know see what we've got on, on tap uh, for the Bears. Uh, you know I won't entertain that whole thing until that happens. But um, you know, just off the top of my head, four four wins sounds like an extremely low number and i'm not saying that just because i want to see the bears win more than four games this year it's like going through the schedule you honestly don't think the bears are good enough to win more than four games even with the schedule that we have i just don't see it i don't see it you know they they had a horrendously bad roster last year and we won five games last year so we'll we'll yeah we'll definitely do better than five and eleven this year we sure as hell gonna do better than four wins uh in 2018 and uh you know the important thing as Bear fans is to, like going into last year, 
wins and losses really weren't the biggest concern. It was like, obviously, we want to win the football games. We want to be a good team. We want to see the Bears make a postseason run and so on and so forth. But when you're in the stages of a rebuild like the Bears have been since John Fox and, and Ryan Pace came in together, you want to see improvement on the field. And, you know, we're, 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 in a, we're, we're getting ourselves into a position where that's no longer acceptable. Seeing us play better and still losing isn't going to be good enough in 2018, in my opinion, because we've gotten too much talent in, in the offseason. We've drafted too well over the years to see, you know, like, oh, marked improvement, but in the end, we still lose the game kind of thing. That's not going to be okay for much longer. Some people might still be okay with that, and they're willing to accept that, you know, it's a, a marathon, not a sprint. Well, a lot of Bear fans are going to be like, you know what? We got Robinson. We got Gabriel. We got an offensive-minded head coach. We got this. We got that. We kept Fangio, so on and so forth. Yeah, four wins. That's not acceptable. And, and, and even though we're come down to the wire and we could have won maybe eight or nine games but only won four, it, that won't make anybody feel better. So it's getting to the point where, you know, we're expected to win and we want nine wins. We want ten wins. We want to be in the playoff discussion uh, every year. That's what Ryan Pace has been building to, and I think it's about time we start seeing some of those results now speaking of uh aaron uh, or excuse me ryan pace and some of the guys that he brought in um the 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 offseason has wrapped officially wrapped up minicamp ended uh earlier this week um you know obviously everything sounds great when we're not hitting yet just uh you know helmets and and jerseys and shorts and, and whatnot but going through the motions installing the offense and and getting everything done that way and the only thing uh, that was I don't even remotely negative about the whole situation, about the whole week, was Aaron Lynch. Uh, the, 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 you know, uh, right now penciled in to be a starter opposite Leonard Floyd, uh, who was going full full participation in in the last in the minicamp, by the way, going quote unquote full speed, uh, which is good to hear, recovering from the knee injury he suffered towards the end of the season last year. Um, missed uh, a practice i think just one but missed practice with a hamstring injury and they basically shut him down after that so as to not make it worse but um hopefully it's not a bad omen it's just one of those things you, you tweak a hamstring it's no big deal uh, or anything like that no one said anything about any kind of severity or anything like that they're confident he'll be ready to go by training camp which starts in 40 days people 40 days from today today is a saturday 40 days from today the Bears will be in Bourbonnais kicking off training camp and getting ready for the Hall of Fame game uh, against the Ravens. So that should be, uh, that's interesting. But um, hope, like I said, hopefully this is not a bad omen. That's kind of what plagued him in San Francisco. That's why he's not there uh, anymore. That's why he's in Chicago, uh, you know, trying to recover and trying to rebuild his career uh, because he couldn't stay healthy in, in San Francisco and when he was playing he was banged up, therefore not playing to his potential. So hopefully this isn't the beginning of the end uh, of Aaron Lynch. Not a good sign uh, coming out of the gates to to get hurt in basically non-contact drills in, in, in OTAs. So uh, not a good start. And then finally, in the uh, water is wet uh, category, someone uh, wrote an article about uh, the um, the Bears trying to trade Kyle Fuller last year acting like that was some kind of a surprise not the not the guy who wrote the article but people responding in a way like people would be surprised to hear kyle fuller almost got traded 
uh, last season, you know, going into training camp and, and all the rest of that stuff. And, you know, it's <laughs> a lot has changed in the last year. That's for sure. You know, a year ago at this time, we weren't even sure Kyle Fuller was going to make the team, let alone have, uh, you know, even half the season that he ended up having. You know, having Kyle Fuller on the roster in 2018 was, yeah, not going to happen. You know, a year ago at this time, we're, we're done with mini camps. We're going into uh, training camp, that last stretch of the offseason before the season really gets underway, um, you know. With the signing of Marcus Cooper, with bringing in, uh, you know, Prince of Mukamura, the way that Bryce Callahan and Craven LeBlanc played in 2016 uh, and everything like that, Kyle Fuller was definitely on the outside looking in. You know, he just survived by the skin of his, uh, you know, by the hairs on his chinny chin chin kind of thing to make the roster. And then Marcus Cooper getting hurt early on in the year forced him into early duty. Or was it uh, or was it Mukamura? One of the two. You know, I think it was first Amukamura went down, so Fuller had to play. And then when Amukamura was better, Marcus Cooper got hurt, so Fuller had to play some more kind of thing. And it just kind of worked from there. He ended up playing his way into a starting position. So a year ago at this time, you know, Kyle Fuller was completely expendable and not at all ex- expected to make the, the roster. His his The opinion of him from Bear fans, including the one talking to you right now, was extremely low because the guy missed the entire season with uh, arthroscopic knee surgery. I mean, what kind of injury did you have? A, that you needed to have scoped, which would automatically be a minor injury, two, three weeks, maybe a month tops, you miss. And he had that in the beginning of the season and somehow didn't play a snap for the Bears in 2016 and people are supposed to be surprised. The Bears tried to get something out of him after you know as opposed to just letting him go when his rookie contract was up we we, you know we declined his fifth year option making him a free agent after last year and you know what would you have done if you were ryan pace you're not going to give him the fifth year option and pay him 12 million dollars or whatever for that fifth year when he hasn't done anything for you since his rookie year basically so um yeah of course the bears tried to trade him get something instead of losing him and or letting him go for nothing or anything like that you know, it, it's it's surprising to me that people are surprised the Bears tried to trade uh, Kyle Fuller. You have to go back and you have to put it in perspective. Think about where we were a year ago at this time. And, of course, anybody who might call about Kyle Fuller showing any kind of interest, if I'm Ryan Pace, that's a phone call I'm going to take a year ago at this time. So, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that the Bears tried to deal Kyle Fuller. None whatsoever. And then finally, an interesting announcement made. Not really bear related at all, but just one that I had to kind of uh, kind of talk about a little bit. I mean, it'll make it quicker for us to actually get to Brian Erlacher's speech at the um, Hall of Fame uh, because I believe they go in alphabetical order, and Erlacher's last name starting with a U, I think, puts him last uh, on the on the list this year. But um, Terrell Owens, who has fought for years to make it into the Hall of Fame, has declined the invitation to go to his own enshrinement. He's not going to be at the Hall of Fame to get his gold jacket and his bronze statue and and all that kind of stuff. He's not going to do it. He's not going to show up. It's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, this is a guy that's been pounding the table that he's had a Hall of Fame uh, resume for years. Um, Talent-wise, he's absolutely right. Um, One of the more prolific receivers ever, despite having to play for like five or six teams, throughout his career because he was a locker room cancer or he could be anyway 
And, um, you know, he, he gets into the Hall of Fame, uh, most deservedly so. I mean, no one could deny the talent and the career that this guy had and, uh, you know, how he was good pretty much everywhere he went and, and everything else. You don't skip out on your Hall of Fame enshrinement. You just don't do that. And um, basically saying that he's going to celebrate it at a, you know, a different location at, you know, at a later date. Basically, he's going to have his own enshrinement ceremony just about him, which sounds like when in the end of it, you you know, it's it sounds like typical T.O. that he would do something like that and, and make the whole thing about him instead of making it about the the history of the game and the other players that he's being going into the hall of fame with like Randy Moss and Brian Urlacher and Ray Lewis. That's a hell of a class to be a part of man, a hell of a class to be a part of, not to mention with the old school guys like Jerry Kramer, somebody who should have been in the hall of fame years and years ago, Bobby Bethard, one of the great GMs of the, of the eighties and early nineties going in as well. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing hall of fame class that he's a part of. And yet he wants to have his own party and do his own thing. So, I mean, I think that's that's Terrell Owens in a nutshell. And that's also why he had to wait more than five years to get into the into the Hall of Fame for pulling stuff like this. So, yeah, I mean, it's like I, I love Terrell Owens. He was an amazing football player, a lot of fun to watch. Um, I was not a fan of his theatrics on or off the field, to be honest with you, the whole the Sharpie thing in the sock that he pulled out and signed on Monday night football and uh, all the other stuff like the spiking of the football on the star and, and, and everything in Dallas. And, you know, it's like that we could do without that stuff, man. And, and, and all of his shenanigans when he was in Philadelphia and everything in between, you know, the guy just made a, made a spectacle of himself and he didn't need to do that to be memorable. The guy had a career like nobody else and he deserved to be in the hall of fame, but him and his antics, and it's it's all about me, and that's oh that's what we're getting now. And uh, he has to he has to do his own thing. He's gonna have his own party to get into the Hall of Fame, and I think it's ridiculous. I think it's shameful, actually, is what I think. Um, for him to thumb his nose at the NFL one last time, um, I just they you know, for a guy who's uh, probably in what is like mid forties by now, somewhere in that area, you you need to grow up, dude. Honestly, just. Wear the gold jacket, say your speech in front of everybody. Uh, you know, you deserve it. You absolutely deserve it. And yet, you're going to go ahead and pull this stuff. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad then. So, we can, it means we get to Erlacher's speech quicker and we get the thing over with faster because some of those Hall of Fame speeches can run long and those ceremonies can last forever. So, anyway, that's going to do it for the uh, news and notes section. We're going to go ahead and bring in our new friend, Kevin Nogle from Finsiders and Finsider Radio Podcast to help us talk about the 2018 Miami Dolphins. And as we move right along through our AFC East preview, we move on to last year's third place finisher in the Miami Dolphins. And here to help us preview the 2018 Dolphins is uh, Kevin Nogle from Finsiders and the Finsider Radio Podcast. Kevin, thanks so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
So, Kev, what I like to ask all the new friends that we have on the show um, is, um, you know, how long you've been a fan? Is this a lifetime gig? Did you fall into it? Um, where are you right now? Because it seems that every writer that I talk to lives in a market other than the one that the team is actually in. And then, you know, the big uh, cherry on top is what is your favorite memory as a fan of the Miami Dolphins? I definitely fall into the majority, as you said, that don't live in Miami. Um, <laughs> I grew up a Dolphins fan. My mom was a huge Dolphins fan growing up. So I just fell in behind that. The funny part is my dad is actually a Bears fan. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> so there, there, I have both sensibilities. I did grow up watching the Bears a lot. Okay. But my heart and soul is on that aqua and orange down in South Florida. Uh, right now, I'm currently in Colorado. I'm in the Army, so I move around oh. a whole lot. Okay. So I've followed the team with the Finsider um, from Iraq, from Saudi Arabia, from mm. uh, Texas, Colorado, Georgia, um, all over the place. But right now, currently in Colorado, and in the next about a month, I'll be moving back down to Texas. So a little bit weird. All right. Um, and then the, the, the uh, favorite memory mm-hmm. i've got i've got two okay one was probably that first real true memory of the dolphins was the 1993 um thanksgiving game we ah. went to a friend my my uncle and his family they are all huge cowboys fans this is the so we famous went over to their uh, house. the famous leon let game the leon let bowl yeah so all game they trash talk and hate it, and we're just silent, just getting beaten down. And then Leon Lett slid into that football, and Pete Stoyanovich got the second kick, and <laughs> suddenly they were not so happy, and it was great. Yeah. Um, and then the other one would be uh, I went to the, I want to say it was September 24th, somewhere around there, the first games after September 11th. Oh, I was wow. down in Miami for that game with the Dolphins playing the Raiders. Uh-huh. Um, we were sitting first row on the upper deck of what was then the completely open stadium. So you're sitting in the sun beating down on you. We had an American flag hanging over the railing. Um, great game, great atmosphere. Obviously, everybody was united and everything. Then. Sure. And then – Jay Fiedler somehow scrambled his way into the end zone and it ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated and that game was an amazing one to be at too. Wow. Yeah, I bet that sounds pretty awesome, but the that Leon Led game, that was uh that was quite something. I mean, it was actually a pretty great game and then just had one of the most memorable games in the history of Thanksgiving games. Yeah, just he and um I know everybody ESPN wise Mike Golick was on the field for that game. Um, it was it was it was really an interesting moment in realizing, okay, this is what it means to be a fan, and sure. it was it was a great time. Yeah, I bet, I bet. So <laughs> that's you know to, to 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 snatch victory from the jaws of defeat there, um, or for in in the Cowboys' case to uh, snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory <laughs> uh, with Leon Led and his mistakes. So. You know, giving you guys a second shot at that thing to uh, to help you uh, give a give away a, a win on that one, basically. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So going into 2017, real quick, 
You know, expectations are high. You were a surprise playoff team in 2016. You started off one and four, then rattled off five straight victories, and the, it was the Jai show. And you know, and the next thing you know, the Dolphins are in the playoffs. They bow out early in a wild card game against the Steelers, but they won ten games in 2016. You know, like I said, expectations high in 2017. Did it? Did it really all just? turn sideways the moment you lost Tannehill or were there some bad moves made in the offseason that just kind of snowballed or you know how is it that the uh the Dolphins didn't quite live up to expectation last year last year was just insanity in Miami Mm -hmm. uh it all started with Tannehill's injury um and then throughout the rest of the summer there was just injury after injury along the offensive line uh second round pick Raekwon McMillan who looked like he was going to be the starting middle linebacker went down with an ACL tear on his very first play. He was on kickoff coverage of the first preseason game, and he went down. So it was just injury after injury. And then you got to the hurricane came in and messed up week one, so they lost their bye week because Tampa and Miami moved their game to week 11. Right. So they essentially got their bye week in week one. They spent all of that week. They packed up families of the coaches, the staff, the players, Everybody flew out to California. They spent a week out there. Then they came back. They had um, a home game. Their first home game was in London. So they didn't actually play a home game in Miami until after the Florida Panthers had their home opener in the NHL. (laughs) So it was really weird. And then you add in things like um, Lawrence Timmons went AWOL before that first game and just disappeared, wasn't there. Um, Then, what else? You had the Chris Forster snorting white powdery. Oh, my God, that's right. That happened in the middle of the season, and it just, it was the weirdest season I've ever had. And then add in Jay Cutler for $10 million coming out of the booth that he wasn't even actually in yet. Right. Coming out of the booth to come be the quarterback, and... It just it was just a bad, bad year. I mean, and, you know, was that the assessment right away when you guys heard of just Jake Cutler? Or were you thinking, did, was there any optimism considering that when Cutler and Gase were together in Chicago in 2015, it was one of Cutler's best years and they had some better offensive targets in Miami than we had in Chicago? Any optimism? Or it was like, oh, God, he ruined Chicago and now he's coming down here to mess us up? I think it was... Optimism is probably too strong, but it it was an understanding. They, sure. It seemed like, okay, you lose your starting quarterback, it's going to be a bad year. Just you, you acknowledge that right away, unless apparently your, your backup quarterback is Nick Foles. Right. Um, so you know it's going to be a bad year, and you look at all the veterans that were out there, and I think it really did come down to Colin Kaepernick or Jay Cutler. And Jay Cutler made the most sense because he knew Gates. So there was some, okay, there won't be this steep learning curve. You can get something out of him. And that something was six wins. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, and here's the thing. I mean, in, when you, when you were a playoff team in 2016, you had a one in four start and then went on a five game winning streak. And then despite losing Tannehill and everything else that went sideways on the team before the season even started, you start four and two. And then lose five games in a row, and that's where the wheel started really coming off. Uh, you get through the month of October, 
you know, at a four and two record, and then uh, actually the Thursday night game against the Ravens through the end of through the end of November because you didn't win a game through the month of November was that five game losing streak was was it injuries was it you know what what happened in that five game win streak where it went from we're four and two we might be okay this year to oh crap we're four and seven heading into December I think everything just started catching up to them I I guess I don't know um they hit that it was Ravens on Thursday night it it was a really weird stretch it was four three straight I think it was three straight primetime games Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they got blown out on all three of them. And I know that the Raiders game looked closer in the scoreline, but they just they couldn't do anything that that during that middle section. And I think part of it was injuries because injured, and then Matt Moore came in, and Matt Moore struggled, and then he got injured, and then Jay Cutler came back in, and then he got injured, and Matt Moore went back in, and it was just it was injuries. But I also think that there was a sense at the beginning of the season of it's us against the world. Now we're doing 16 straight games. We have to rally around Jay Cutler and eventually Jay Cutler just became Jay Cutler again. And he started playing like how you guys absolutely know he plays. (laughs) Well, yes, we had, uh, we had eight years of that with, uh, with Jay, but as I'm looking at the scores, you're right. The, uh, the defense went on vacation uh, from week yeah. eight to week thirteen. At forty points uh, by the Ravens, twenty-seven for the Raiders, forty-five by Carolina, thirty for Tampa Bay, thirty-five for New England. Before you finally get a win over Denver, thirty-five to nine. So the defense finally shows up against Denver, and also the offense apparently thirty-five to nine in that one. Then you double down with a victory over New England uh, the following Monday. Uh, twenty-seven to twenty, but then the last three games were all losses to uh, two to the Bills, and then one to Kansas City. You didn't play the Bills until week fifteen. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was also the schedule was weird because yeah, they played the Jets twice at the beginning of the season. They played the Patriots twice in the middle of the season, and then they played the Bills twice at the end of the season. Right. It was really weird how they set up the schedule, and it was. I think it was the Patriots were play, and then maybe. Day- Denver and then Patriots again, yep. and then the Bills were the same thing. It was week fifteen off week sixteen, and it was or seventeen. And it was like, what? The, okay, I don't know what they do schedule, but yeah, I think that um, one thing that really crushed the Dolphins was they built that defense to be an attacking, aggressive defense, and teams figured out about midseason, hey, we can run on these guys, and the linebackers it, they. The Dolphins went very wide nine, get Cameron Wake, get Andre Branch attacking, and the linebackers weren't up to par to be able to fill the, that gap sure. that a wide nine creates. Yeah. And, yeah, it just – they started running all over the Dolphins, and even when you have Indomitian Sue in the middle, and Cameron Wake is actually a pretty good run-stopping defensive end. They had William Hayes, who's a good run-stopping defensive end. It just – Teams ran all over Miami last year. Yeah, the wide nine. That's a. It's an interesting defense. It absolutely. You have to have the right personnel, and it has to be run right. Otherwise, when those defensive ends just shoot straight up the the field, you're creating a natural hole to the outside there. You know, uh, for for a running lane and uh, and things like. Especially if you if your linebackers can't get over and and, and cover, it's it's going to be a disaster. And is that basically what happened last year? 
Yeah, and Kiko Alonso played really well two years ago in 2016. He played really well at middle linebacker. They moved him to outside linebacker, and it it seemed like he was taking a step to try to think. So the snap would happen, mm. and he'd have to think, am I covering or am I filling the gap? And I think that that step right there, and then not having Raekwon McMillan, they were waiting for um, Ray Mauluga to get back into shape, and then he ended up getting cut. So it, the linebackers were just a mess last year. Lawrence Timmons, like I said, went AWOL. He played well at the beginning of the year. And then he looked like an aging veteran who has lost a step. Hmm. And it just, yeah, linebackers were probably the biggest issue. Not that, not that the cornerbacks were doing great, but linebackers definitely seemed like the weakest link, which is why a lot of leading into the 2018 draft, a lot of the talk was, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, get one of those guys in there, get some youth, get some talent, get some coverage ability, which obviously they did with Minka Fitzpatrick and then uh, Jerome Baker as he develops as the third-round pick. He should be able to step up and become a coverage linebacker too. So, you know, with the, with the end of 20, uh, 2017, it's uh, disappointing. You go from 10-6 and six to 6-10. Six and 10. Um, obviously not making the playoffs that time around the season mercifully ends and going into the off season, was it about maybe getting some kind of youth movement going? Cause Indomitian Sue is gone. Julius Thomas is gone. Mike Pouncey, uh, out the door, Lawrence Timmons gone. And then you're, you're bringing aside from maybe a guy like, uh, Josh sitting in an, and an, and an Amendola or actually Frank Gore, he's got the longest tooth of them all. Frank it it seemed like, yep. the, you know, there was kind of this youth movement thing going on with the, uh, with the Dolphins during the offseason? I think that was a big part of it. I think it was also Adam Gates going into his third year now. That's the year that you really expect a coach to have his team. Sure. And I think that's what you saw was he wants his team now. So I won't say they're bad attitude guys, but they got rid of guys that didn't seem to buy into a team concept. That's what happened with the trade in the middle of the season last year with Jay Ajayi. Mm. Ajayi is a great running back, but he tries to I, – I, I, I've used this before, and I don't want it taken as I'm comparing him to Barry Sanders, but he tries to bury Sanders in the backfield where he's looking for that hole and I want to break this, and they take a three-yard loss because he's not Barry Sanders. He's not going to get away from the guy. Right. So you saw that Jarvis Landry is the same way. Jarvis, great player. Love, love him with the ball in his hand, but he's also a guy who likes to freelance. And Adam Gates' system is built on exact routes. The quarterback is throwing to a spot, not to a receiver. And Jarvis may or may not be there because he may float a little bit deeper. He may decide to cut right instead of left. And so you, you saw that. And I say that knowing that he had 112 to lead the league. So he, he catches the ball a ton. But um, that's where you saw those guys. And Dominican Sue, I think, was just, at the end of the day, that contract is getting bigger and bigger. And mm-hmm. I thought they were going to try to hold on to him for one more year, but I think they just decided this was the time. They seem to like Jordan Phillips, um, Devon Godchild coming up behind them. So th- there's some talent, younger talent coming. So I think that's why you saw that. Mike Pouncey, they wanted to keep. They did not want to release him. But they did go to him and go, hey, we need you to take a pay cut. He said no, 
And at the same time, the Niners called and said, hey, we can trade you Kilgore. And the Dolphins went, that gets us a starting center. So they made that trade and then went back to Pouncey and said, hey, we really need you to take this pay cut. He said, no, release me. And that's how that happened. So I think it was a matter of we want to get younger, but they also wanted to find those key veterans that would be able to teach. And you have a guy like Danny Amendola that obviously is championship pedigree now. Yeah. And he comes in and he is already, everybody has talked about how in the locker room, in the weight room, he's the guy that everybody's watching going, that's what we need to do. You have a guy like Josh Sitton that's coming in. And I know you guys know him. Yes. He brings, he brings that veteran experience mm-hmm. and the Dolphins guards were their weakest part of that offensive line last year. And so you're getting a guy that has Pro Bowl talent, plugging him in there, and that led Laramie Tunsil at left tackle, who struggled at times as he returned back to his college position. It lets him get a veteran next to him that can cement in, and they lock down that left side together. Mm-hmm. So... Um... Because you're, you're you're talking about like maybe like changing the culture in, in the locker room, uh, bringing in a yeah. guy like Robert Quinn, a longtime veteran out from the from the Rams. Uh, you traded for Akeem Spence to, in Detroit, somewhat of a you know maybe not the the, the on the level of an Indomitian Sioux, but plugging somebody into a Dominican Sioux's uh, spot uh, as well. It, it does look like um, you know that uh, Gase is definitely putting his stamp on the team going into year number three. Absolutely. I think that those are great examples. And then you mentioned him, and I didn't talk about him, but Frank Gore is another guy. He comes in there. He's that veteran experience. A lot of the national media has talked about how the Dolphins are relying on Frank Gore. I don't think they're going to. He could even be the starter, but I think Kenyon Drake is the guy that is getting the majority of the carries, and Gore is coming in to spell him and give give a different look. And then they also drafted Kalen Bollage, who should be coming in behind those two. A little bit more of a speed guy. He is a pass catcher, so he's a three-down back that they'll groom behind those two to just keep running. Gase likes to do a running back by committee approach, and that's what the Dolphins have set up. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that they absolutely went and got those guys that can plug in right away, and maybe they aren't long-term solutions, but they are guys that are going to share that knowledge with those younger guys that are coming up now. Yeah, and they can help you know hit the uh, reset button on the mindset in the uh, in the locker room as well. Because just about everybody that you brought in, from Amendola to sitting, even a guy like Albert Wilson, you know, he doesn't have a championship pedigree, but even in his short career, he's been to the playoffs every single year with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, these are guys that know where what the, what it takes to get where the Dolphins want to go. Exactly, and I thought Wilson. So you grabbed Wilson and Amendola. Basically, you took two players, plugged them into Jarvis Landry's spot, and you absolutely have guys that have that experience that can share it. Wilson is a younger guy still, mm-hmm. but like you said, he has playoff experience. So the Dolphins like that. That I mean, that's the same way they got Kenny Stills, a younger guy who has experience with the Saints, brought him over in that trade and plugged him in now, and he's been re-signed. He looks like he's probably going to – my guess is he's the guy that leads the team in receptions this year. I know Devontae Parker should be the number one guy, but I think it's going to be Kenny Stills. 
So looking forward uh, into the draft, we touched on it earlier. You've mentioned a couple of guys that have already been uh, that, that you mentioned they take, like uh, like a Jerome Baker, the linebacker from Ohio State, the the Kalen Ballage from uh, Arizona State to probably be your your third guy uh, coming off the bench in, in the backfield. But the first round pick is the one I think was was most interesting because there were you know uh, there was this whole will they or won't they thing with the quarterback situation with the Dolphins. Are they going to ride with Tannehill for for another year and see how he's coming off that? that ACL or will the Dolphins be one of those teams that makes a move to to get up into the first round to be able to get their hands on a Josh Rosen or a Josh Allen or, or whoever might be around you know wherever they can move to and 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 things like that what were you thinking going into the offseason were you interested in the Dolphins going after a quarterback did you want to see what was going to happen with Tannehill what was your thought on what the first round pick should be I was the weird guy out there on Twitter telling everybody there is too much talk about quarterbacks. Everybody bought into, oh, they are after Josh Rosen. They love Baker Mayfield. They're going to trade up to him. And I just kept sitting there going, this screams to me smoke screen. This screams to me we are way, we are putting way too much information out there that we love these players. And looking back on it now with some of the other information that's come out, I think that's exactly what it was. I think the Dolphins purposely talked to these quarterbacks made it public that they were interested in quarterback, sure that they brought in Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Baker Mayfield to Miami to make sure that people knew it. I will caveat that with, if Baker Mayfield somehow falls to number 11, I think they're absolutely taking him. But I think their whole goal was to scream, hey, look, we love these quarterbacks, so that teams like Buffalo, like Arizona, are jumping in front of them, and one of those defensive players is falling back to them. And I think that their plan worked exactly how they wanted. I don't think that they thought it was going to be Minka Fitzpatrick. I think they were going to look at Roquan Smith. But when Minka's sitting there, I think they just absolutely went, nope, we're, we have to take him. So was it a – was it like we're definitely going for a defensive player? Was it a best player available? Because 11, it's, that's one of those weird, like, man on its own island, you know, kind of thing in, in that – especially in a draft like this – where you know everyone's thinking that five quarterbacks are coming off the board in the first five picks, kind of thing, um, you know, like that's what we were in a great position with the Bears, having gotten our quarterback last year, thinking that at least three or four quarterbacks are coming off the board. One of these marquee players is going to fall to the Bears at eight. I mean, they're just going to land in our lap, which is why it didn't seem so crazy that Quentin Nelson kept showing up in the Chicago mock drafts and, and things like that. Because if these quarterbacks go, there's only so many spots left before the Bears are picking. Is that what you guys were thinking, that uh, that somebody was going to fall to you because of all the quarterback talk? Or was it always thinking, you know, defense is, is the point and then it's going to get the best defensive player on the board? I think that's probably the right way that it was. Defense is where we're looking and whatever the best player is there, that's the one they're taking. And uh, they, they've talked about it um, during the draft that there was a story that uh, came out of the Boston Globe that Stephen Ross had questioned and had implored his team to trade back. And the way I've read all of this, it seems more like the Dolphins went in going, hey, look, if one of the guys we don't – or if one of the two guys, which I think it was – Minka, which they never thought he was going to be there, and Roquan Smith. If one of those two is not there, we're going to trade back. And that's what they talked. They talked to Stephen Ross, the owner, about it. Everybody's tracking. 
and then Minka Fitzpatrick sitting there, and they went, we're taking him. And I think Stephen Ross went, I thought we were going to trade back. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, this is the guy we want. And my guess is that that got spun into, oh, he implored them to trade back. Because the other side of that story was in order to save money. And Stephen Ross has never, never been a guy to say, we need to save money. Otherwise, Dominican Sue would not have been in Miami. Otherwise, he wouldn't have spent $500 million on a stadium. He is a guy that will spend to win. The Dolphins haven't been winning yet, but I think that they absolutely there, – there was no talk of we need to save money. Then on the other piece of that is um, it came out – I think it was this week – that throughout the offseason, every time the Dolphins would do anything – with a quarterback, Adam Gase would call Ryan Tannehill. And he sat him down. They said they sat down before the senior bowl and said, these are our plans. You are our quarterback. And then after the senior bowl, and it started, oh, they really like Baker Mayfield. And then when all the visits were coming, every time the visit was coming, Adam Gase would call Ryan Tannehill and go, look, we want you to hear it from us. You are still our quarterback. We don't want you to hear through Twitter or the news that, oh, the Dolphins are looking at somebody. So I don't think, like I said, I don't think the quarterback was ever the actual target. I think they just wanted the news out there that that was the target. So they were doing the opposite of what the uh, the Giants were doing because everyone thought for a moment that uh, that Gettleman was trying to pull a fast one on the media by playing up uh, Barkley as the next greatest player in the history of football, thinking that maybe <laughs> they were trying to set everybody up. They're going to take a quarterback at number two when they were yep. basically talking about the guy they wanted all along, it wasn't a smokescreen. The Dolphins were doing the opposite about like, oh, you know, if Mayfield falls or maybe we try to move up because there was at one point a rumor that the Bears and the Dolphins were going to be trade partners. You guys were going to send yep. us Jarvis Landry and the 11th pick, and we were going to give you eight and Jordan Howard. That's just yeah. no way in hell that was ever going to happen. But you know, I was like eight and you know eleven and Jarvis Landry. I like that, but eight and Jordan Howard. No yeah. freaking way, man. We can't get rid of Jordan Howard. That's nuts. But you know, like yeah. there was a lot of talk about yeah moving up to to trade yeah. with somebody to get a quarterback. Yep, they were tied to the second pick. They were tied to the sixth pick. They were tied to the eighth pick, and then I think it was nine in order to jump ahead of 10 in order to make sure that the bills didn't jump in front of Miami. It was something like that, but yeah, it was at least two, six and eight. They were tied to at different times throughout the off season. Right. So yeah, that was uh, a lot of speculation about Tannehill's days in Miami being numbered because they were going to draft his replacement uh, this year. And it didn't even come close to happen. You guys didn't even draft a, a backup later on in the, uh, in the nope. draft and anything. Instead you take, Two tight ends with your with uh, your second round pick. You get Jasicki from uh, Penn State, the tight end, and then uh, Durham Smythe, the tight end from Notre Dame, with your first fourth round pick, and um, all of this to replace. Uh, and you even signed Avin, Gavin uh, Escobar in in free agency, yep. and uh, so loading up in the the tight end position there. Yeah, and it goes back to so the Dolphins have struggled for probably a decade with covering tight ends and every time they seem to get a tight end that starts to produce he goes and signs somewhere else charles clay the most recent uh example of that sure but yeah i think i my top three uh needs for the dolphins this year were linebacker 
a like a coverage linebacker, a tight end, and you could go back and forth between either finding a true free safety or getting a defensive tackle, knowing that Indomitian Sue was gone. Mm-hmm. And so in the first three rounds, they went safety, safety tight linebacker, end linebacker yeah. or tight end linebacker. Yeah, so I think that they, they absolutely – Adam Gates has talked about it for years, how he loved two tight end sets, and he likes to have one guy that – is maybe more all around, but leans towards blocking, which is what Anthony Fasano was last year. Okay, and then he likes the pass catching guy in Julius Thomas, which it's not what he was. Mm-hmm. So uh, Fasano should be retiring. I don't think it's beneficial, but I think he's going to retire. And then Julius Thomas was ushered out of the league or away um, from Miami, at least. So that's where that second and fourth round pick come in. You now have. Jaseki, who is going to get you the pass-catching guy. He's not an inline blocker. Uh, it was funny this week. He did throw a block during one of the uh, minicamp or OTA uh, practices, and Adam Gates was actually asked about that afterwards. Like, did we see Jaseki blocking? I was <laughs> like, well, he, he's going to do it at times. I mean, he's tied in, but he's more of – I think they'll end up using him more as a giant slot receiver – than an inline tight end, but then you have Smythe that will absolutely be that blocking tight end who does have he, I think he has better hands than people think, but I'm not saying he's going to be out there up the league, but he'll be that you need a short dump off possession type guy. I think that he'll be able to do that. So, was there anybody else in the uh, in the group of uh, group of guys you got there in, in the in the draft? You got a. Um, we talked about uh, Ballage already. You got an, another defensive back in Cornell Armstrong in the sixth round. And in the seventh, you got another linebacker in Quentin Poling from Ohio. And then f- capped it all off with a with a kicker, Jason Sanders, to replace the guy that uh, we stole from you. Yes. And then they actually signed an undrafted free agent kicker also. Okay. And uh, they're allowing those two to have a battle in training camp to try to um, solve who it's going to be. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I really liked the first four picks or the first five picks. Let's see. It's Patrick Jusecki, Baker, Smythe, Ballage. Yeah, first five picks. I think all five of those are easily on the roster and making contributions this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, tight ends mm-hmm. typically don't make great contributions in their first year, so I'm not going to say that he's a bust if he's not a, if Jusecki's not out there doing great things. Uh, Armstrong, Poling, and Sanders. Sanders, if he wins the kicking battle, obviously will have an impact because He's a kicker. Sure. Uh, Armstrong, I think, my guess is Armstrong is probably headed to the practice squad just because the Dolphins have a bunch of young cornerbacks ahead of him on the depth chart. Uh, Polling, probably about the same. Uh, They do have some younger guys. Um, Stephon Anthony uh, looks like he could be a guy that is uh, challenging for that third starting spot if Jerome Baker doesn't have it. Uh, got him last year from the Saints in a trade. So he's another young guy that could be up there. So there's there's ability for all these guys to make the roster. But I do think that, yeah, probably those first five are locks. Uh, get rid of Sanders as a kicker, and those other two are probably practice squad type guys. So looking forward to the uh, to the schedule here. 
Um, it doesn't look like the, the NFL uh, kind of, you know, screwed you over with playing four division games in the last six weeks or, you know, <laughs> playing the same team twice in three weeks twice uh, like they did yeah. uh, last year. They do, however, have you waiting until week 13 to play Buffalo for some reason uh, again. So you will be playing them twice in a short amount of time, but not in the same period as uh, last year. But this year it looks like you got the AFC South and, of course, the NFC North uh, playing the Bears and Packers and Lions and Vikings and things like that. Um, and this is this seems like it's it's kind of an odd year this year where it's like not everyone is playing a Thursday night game. It doesn't seem like they made an effort to put everyone on national TV uh, this time around. And, and from just from looking at the schedule, it looks like the Thursday night game against the Texans week eight is the only national TV game the Dolphins get this year. Yeah, they had four last year, and they're down to one this year. So, yeah, the, the league definitely went, ooh, you guys did really badly on national TV last year. We're not going to do that again. Yeah. So, understood it, and a 6-10 and 10 team probably isn't a team that's going to draw a lot. So, it it kind of was disappointing, but it wasn't surprising. So, you start with the... With the Titans at home, you're, you're, then you're at the, the Jets, home for the Raiders, at New England, at Cincinnati, and those are the first uh, first five weeks. Um, you know, just the, you got two division games in the first four weeks with the Jets and the Patriots both on the road. And then uh, week six, that's when you, you host the, the Bears. And yep. aside from, I think, a Thursday night victory in like 2010, Miami is a team that has always seemed to have the Bears number regardless of how well the Bears are playing. Uh, you know, you obviously famously broke our, our perfect record back in 85. And then in 2006, the year we went back to the Super Bowl, we're 7-0 and and like the 1-5 and Dolphins come into Soldier Field and kick our ass. Uh, to take the first uh, first L of the season. The last time we played in 2014, the Dolphins handed it to us in Soldier Field, the famous game where the inmates were clearly running the asylum in Chicago. <laughs> the reporters are standing outside the locker room waiting to be let in, and they hear hell going on in the locker room after the Dolphins beat the crap out of us that in that yep. one. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bad, bad showing. Uh, by the Bears and the team just it just came like vomiting out of the players in the locker room. The reporters could hear it from the uh, from the outside. I mean, it's it's funny that that every team usually has that one that's kind of always got their number. Last year, the Bears proved that they were that team for the Steelers when they beat them again inexplicably in Chicago last year. And the Dolphins just seem to be that team for Chicago, where it's always trouble, no matter how good or bad the team seemed to be. And then just throw it out there. Wasn't uh, your return to the Super Bowl in Miami? It was, actually. Was that game in Miami? The yeah. first first bad weather <laughs> Super Bowl in the history yeah. of the game. The, in Miami, downpour. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's something yeah. about Miami that just with, uh, doesn't agree with the with, Bears. Uh, with Prince playing Purple Haze in the rain. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's what got us out of the Super Bowl rotation until we put a canopy on the stadium. Nice. But, yeah, I think... <laughs> Um, the, what the what the schedule does for the Dolphins this year is, other than that, um, other than that Thursday night game, all the games are at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NFL buried the Dolphins. They're like, nope, we don't even want you in the late games. <laughs> you just sit there at the one o'clock. So 
every time somebody comes down from like I don't know a windy city in Chicago mm-hmm. down to a one o'clock game in Miami in early October, and that sun is going to beat on those nice dark uniforms. <laughs> so the Dolphins, the Dolphins have that advantage. Yeah. Um, and the way the I don't know if you've seen it, but the way the um, canopy is set up. The Dolphin sideline is completely shaded, and like it's like 85% or something of the stadium is completely shaded. Unless you were sitting on the opponent's sideline or just behind it, you're in sun then at 1 o'clock. Wow. So that sun just bakes into that side. And last year, um, I got to actually go down on the field before the game and was in the sun on the opponent's sideline, walked across the field to – the uh, shade and it's a noticeable difference Mm. it's you're you're sweating and then you walk into that shade and you're like oh it's kind of cold over here (laughs) so that 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 is a nice part of the way the Dolphins set up that stadium and the way the schedule works out this this year uh those two early AFC East games Mm -hmm. I would have preferred at least one of them to be in Miami that way you get the advantage of the heat and but at the same time, having two early away games against the Jets and the Patriots means that Miami is not going up there in December and playing in the snow. Right. So there's bonus there. Um, the Dolphins, the end of the schedule is brutal, though. They do get that late bye week, which they haven't had in forever, it seems like, especially well, they, after last year. They, they tried to get it last year, but uh, the hurricane thought yeah. different of that. Um yeah, yeah, week week eleven again this year, and you're right. After that, uh, after that break in week eleven, you got Indianapolis. So depending on which Indianapolis team shows up this year, that'll be a cakewalk or a challenge. And then you got Buffalo in New England, both in Miami at Minnesota, home for the Jags, and then at Buffalo in December to close out the uh, the year. So that is a rough six weeks to yeah. close out the season. It's a it's a. 2017 playoff gauntlet to end the year yeah. and then the game before the bye week in week 10 is the Packers who obviously are a playoff team although they weren't because they didn't have Aaron Rodgers right so that yeah the the end of the season could be really brutal for Miami but hopefully they can rack up some early season wins to offset some of those losses that will probably come at the end of the season well, something that I did notice about the schedule, because of how it falls for you guys and who the, the rotation has you playing this year, as far as which out you know which divisions you're you're playing with the AFC South and the NFC North, um, and your one West Coast team that you're playing is coming to you. I don't think yep. you guys cross the Mississippi this year uh, for a for a road game. I mean. Your, I think Minnesota is the furthest west that you travel this year. I think yeah, that's the furthest west that you travel. Is, everything is in Central Time Zone or Eastern Time Zone. Yeah, which Miami Miami loves to go to London. So, not having a London game this year, not having a West Coast game, and like you said, that Raiders game. It's a one o'clock game on the East Coast, so that hurts the Raiders in the first place. Yeah, and then yeah, Miami does not travel a lot this year. Yeah, and when when they do, I mean, it's practically a bus trip for as far as you guys have to go uh, this year. So, I mean, travel is not going to be an issue with, uh, you know, time zones, you know, multiple time zone switches or or anything like that, having to adjust to the time and and, uh, 
and what have you, uh, that's not going to be an issue for you guys this year. But you're right, that Raiders game, that's going to be tough for them because your 1 a.m. or excuse me, 1 p.m. start is a 10 a.m. start for the Raiders. Yeah, it, and again, that that's also now early or late September. There, it's early in the day for the Raiders, and now they're in black, sitting on the opponent sideline. So yeah, <laughs> the the Dolphins, yeah, they definitely got a break with the amount of travel for this year. So what kind of optimism or, you know, uh, the cautious optimism, you know, blind faith going into the, the year do, do Dolphins fans have? Is there, is there like, you know, it can't get much worse than it did last year kind of thing? It can only get better or, yay, Tannehill's back, we're going back to the playoffs. What's the, what's the mindset of the fan base at this point? Uh, probably all over the place. I okay. think they're a little more optimistic than – the national media and the Las Vegas bookmakers, which I think the over under right now is still hovering right around six. It was five and a half and it was six and a half somewhere in that range. Um, and I think MMQB put out today that they think the dolphins will finish with three wins this year. So the, the national media is beating up on the dolphins. And a lot of that comes back to so many people expected that, quarterback pick and when they didn't take a quarterback they automatically assume the season's over everybody just writes off Ryan Tannehill right away mm-hmm. I don't know why but that's the way it's been going um I think that Miami I, I I would probably say nine and seven pushing for a playoff berth I don't know that they make it they could surprise they could get to double digit wins they could try to push the Patriots but we say that every year that somebody in the AFC East is going to push the Patriots and nobody ever does. Right. So yeah. I, I think that that's probably about right. Eight and eight, nine and seven. I, I have to believe that Ryan Tannehill is two to three wins better than Jay Cutler just on the surface. Sure. So I, I, that's six and ten. You give me two or three wins. Now you're at eight and eight, nine and seven. And yeah, I think that they could push for that playoff berth. Um, but again, it's going to take making that run early in the year and hoping maybe the Bills fall off or the Patriots stumble down the stretch for some reason or something that that gauntlet at the end of the year, they can make it through relatively unscathed. So you're thinking 500 or, or better this year for sure? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think that the, I think this team is better than a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, Every fan base, if you pull every fan base, you're going to have way more wins than 256 games would allow. Sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that's probably about right. Because, like I said, I think Ryan Tannehill has to be better. I know everybody looks at Ndamukong Sue, Mike Pouncey, Jarvis Landry, Jay Ajayi as gone. But I think the Dolphins were very deliberate in who they allowed to leave and why they allowed them to leave and how they would target guys to come in and, Maybe not be in Dominican Sue, but be a solid starting defensive tackle in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean it's. Uh, yeah. it, I mean it looks like the you know the Dolphins did trim an awful lot of fat, but they did replace a lot of that with guys like a Robert Quinn and you know a, a Kilgore to replace Pouncey. So it's not like these people have left holes where they let where they went. You know, you signed an Albert Wilson and a Dam- uh, an Amendola. You you went out and got Josh Sitton to solidify the inside and even help. Uh, Tunsil at the same time by doing that and uh, you know even got uh, Osweiler and David Fales to come back up the Tannehill in the quarterback position and and things like that so it just looks like 
You know, it, it, it's just like people are talking about the subtractions and kind of ignoring the additions. Exactly. That's that's what I felt like. They're, they're, the the storyline is the Dolphins lost all these Pro Bowl talents. And Mike Pouncey's a great player. He is not a Pro Bowl player anymore unless that hip magically solves itself this year. He's not a Pro Bowl center anymore. But the media is, they lost all this Pro Bowl talent, all pro-level talent, and then the next line is, and they replaced it with old guys. And that's like the entire story mm-hmm. is, oh, yeah, they got old because they got Frank Gore. That they suddenly ignore the fact that Chinyan Drake looks really, really good. And he led the league in rushing in the last four or five weeks of the year. Now, he also pointed out that some of those guys that probably could have beat him sat out week 17. But it's still a stat that he was up there among league leaders in rushing once he was given the chance to start and didn't have to sit behind JJ, didn't have to split carries with Damian Williams. So they ignore that. They ignore Kalen Bollage coming in behind Frank Gore. They just, Frank Gore's the starter. No, he's not. He's the guy that's coming in there to be the veteran. Right. So there's a lot of, like you said, we are seeing all the losses and we are ignoring all the gains. Right. Yeah, that can be uh, that can be frustrating when when the uh, when the 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 so-called experts only tell half the story uh, when they're only talking but, yeah. about uh, you know the the negative part and then they're really leaning on that and not even giving you guys the benefit of the doubt the people that you did uh, bring in it's like yeah you lost an endemic and Sue but you brought in a Robert Quinn uh, to be a leader on the defensive side and. Uh, you know Albert Wilson and 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 Amendola to replace the Jarvis Landry and uh, and things like that. Like they may not catch more passes than he did, but maybe put them together and they'll catch more than Jarvis Landry did and and replace his production that way and uh, and and things like that. It's uh, it's something that you see all over the league sometimes. And Adam Gase talked about it last year, and then it didn't happen. But he w- doesn't want that guy that's catching a hundred passes. He wants four or five guys that are catching 50 to 60 passes each. And so he wants that spread it out type offense, not that one guy is dominating. And Jarvis Landry, I mean, you throw anything to him and he seems to come down with it. So no issue with him getting that many receptions and that many looks. But yeah, I think that you'll see the Dolphins spread out the ball more and not rely on one guy like they do with Jarvis. Well, I think... um... Kevin, I, I appreciate you uh, for joining us uh, and being on the uh, the show. I really had a, a really great time uh, talking to you. Um, like we talked about earlier, it's week number, what, six, seven? Week six that the Bears come down to bake in the hot sun uh, yeah. at 1 o'clock in the afternoon there in, uh, uh, in Miami. And uh, we'd like to have you back on the week of the uh, game and talk about what happened in those first five weeks and uh, see where we're at at that point in the season. Absolutely. And um, where can we find you online? Where can we hear the uh, hear the Finsider show? Uh, TheFinsider.com. Finsider is spelled P-H-I-N, like dolphins. So it's TheFinsider.com. For me on Twitter, it's at TheFinsider. And then everything that we do is linked through that Twitter account. So when the podcast comes out every Saturday morning, it's uh, published on the site itself. And then my Twitter account will push it out also. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again for for being on the show, Kevin. Uh, we look forward to uh, having you back on real soon. Yep, sounds good. Thank All you. Right.
Kevin Nogle, Finsiders, uh, f- helping us preview the 2018 Miami Dolphins. Thanks again to Kevin Nogle, Finsider, uh, thefinsider.com from uh, SB Nation and the Finsider Radio Podcast. Really enjoyed talking to him. Looking forward to having him back week six when the Bears travel down to South, uh, South Beach and uh, take on the Miami Dolphins. And uh, hopefully we'll have like a, an overcast day so our beloved aren't cooking in those, as he says, pretty dark uniforms in, uh, in early October. Uh, down there in, in Miami, so uh, you know so whoever the architect was that uh, figured that figured that out was a genius, you know, to figure out how to put the to basically cover the place in a dome, but the one spot that won't ever be covered by sunshine would be the opposing team's bench. So uh, yeah, that was pretty good, pretty good revelation on, on their part. And this this, this added benefit of uh, of how we're going to set this up is basically we're going to be cooking everyone on the opposite side of the field. It's pretty great. So. Um, looking forward to that game and, and to see where these two teams are going to be at that part. The Bears are going to be coming off a bye uh, going into week six against the, uh, against the Dolphins because our, our bye week is, is week number five uh, this year. So we're, we're, we got our first four games uh, right out of the gate. We got Green Bay and Seattle and Arizona and then uh, Tampa Bay. Got the week off and then we got Miami uh, to basically kick off the last three quarters uh, of the season. And, um, you know, how are the Bears coming off the bye? Where are we at at that point in the season? Are we a, are we a one and three? Are we two and two? Are we three and one, you know, four and oh, whatever, you know, it's like, where are we at? And um, how will we uh, respond coming off the bye and uh, getting after it with the Dolphins? I will say the last time we played in Miami, it was a Thursday night game, but it was the 2010 season and we shut the Dolphins out. Big goose egg, like 19 to nothing won that game so 2010 was a fun year man it was our only playoff season as long as i've been doing the chicago bears review that was fun was fun winning more than we were losing and talking about playoffs and it being a reality and a realistic thing and the bears are in tops in the division and blah 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 and we beat the packers on monday night football and yeah that didn't suck but uh hasn't been much fun since then but uh hopefully we'll get back to that that's what we've been building towards these last few years after dealing with the suck that was Mark Tressman and then John Fox, hopefully Matt Nagy is going to help us turn this thing around and uh, we'll have some happier days ahead and some fun podcasts, some victory episodes when the season comes along. So um, anyway, uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year. You know, we've been saying that over and over again. And uh, I think I said it after the uh, the Jets podcast that I curse the Bears for doing this to me every year. They always seem to do something to make me excited about the year, whether it's somebody that we signed or someone that we drafted. And this year was kind of across the board. You know, we got this new head coach that everybody seemed to be excited about after the fact. Like when we hired him, like who among Bear fans was excited about the Matt Nagy hiring? Then we start hearing about him, reading his story and so on and so forth. And it becomes something that tweaks your interest okay maybe we got something here he's a younger guy uh you know under Andy Reid who's had nothing but success in Philly and Kansas City and uh and everything is uh you know when Andy Reid turned the play calling duties over to him the the offense all of a sudden woke up and started putting points on the board they worked their way back into the playoffs and so on and so forth 
you know, guys are, are signing with the Bears because of Matt Nagy. And, you know, Matt Nagy was, uh, you know, had a, a previous relationship with Trubisky because the Chiefs were interested in Trubisky. So we're off on the right foot there. This is somebody that he, you know, possibly wanted to get his hands on and was very interested in working with, but had to go with Mahomes because the Bears snatched Trubisky up early and, uh, you know, oh, well, by the way, we got Allen Robinson, who's uh, going to probably be playing with a chip on his shoulder after missing last season. Oh, yeah. And Taylor Gabriel, we're going to bring. Oh, yeah. And, and Trey Burton, that guy that, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, a number two in, in Philly is probably looking forward to being the number one option. He's going to be our Travis Kelsey. And and this offense is going to make Tariq Cohen the greatest football player in the history of football. I mean, if you read the headlines, Tariq Cohen's going to. You know, he's going to rush for over 1,000 yards, but he's going to also catch 110 balls for another 1,500 yards. He's going to be MVP of the league if you listen to people talk about the versatility he's going to have in this offense where they're teaching Cohen every position on the field. So he's going to be stuck. He's going to be lined up at wideout. He's going to come out of the backfield. He might even share the backfield with with. Uh, with uh, with uh, Jordan Howard and everything, and just hearing having Cohen and Howard on the field at the same time, and it doesn't involve a wildcat offensive uh, lineup or something like that. It, it sounds really exciting. You can't wait to see it. And then Fangio's coming back to hopefully keep the defense on the trajectory that they were on uh, last year, and and so on and so forth. It's hard not to get excited about what could be happening this year, and which is also why it was really disappointing to read that the money money quarterback only wants to give us four wins this year I just I just don't see it I just don't you know I don't see how we got on paper exponentially better um and somehow we're going to finish worse than we did a year ago like I just don't think that the opponents that we're going to be playing are so great that it will discount what the Bears where the Bears improved uh over the offseason I just don't see it so um we'll just have to wait and see as I like to say over and over again but um anyway so we close the book on the Dolphins. We get ready for Buffalo, a surprise playoff team in 2017. Sean Murphy from Buffalo Rumblings on SB Nation uh, will be joining us on Monday to talk about the Bills and um, you know talk about the offseason and the season that they had because they basically looked like they were having a, a fire sale. You know, they traded Sammy Watkins. They they got rid of uh, their quarterback, uh, you know, Tyrod. Well, they, they hang on, hung on to Tyrod Taylor, but, the, you know, they... they Basically, you just basically started trimming the fat on the team prior to 2017 and made the playoffs anyway. They had a new head coach, a brand new general manager. They seemed to be trying to put the stamp on the franchise and build it their own way and somehow made the playoffs anyway for the first time since the, the, the um, Music City Miracle in 2000. I mean, it's been a long time since the, the Bills had made it to the playoffs. They made it when they weren't expected to. And what will they do now that they've continued to kind of go into this rebuild mode, drafting a new quarterback, you know, bringing in a bunch of new players, letting some guys go and, and, and what have you. It's very interesting what's going on in Buffalo that they're winning despite what they're doing and how will they go into 2018. Is he a fan of the Josh Allen move uh, and everything like that? Very interested to see what it's going to sound like coming from a Bills fan. So that will be on Monday. And then Wednesday, I'm talking to Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit and SB Nation to talk about the New England Patriots and how much I hate the goddamn New England Patriots. And hopefully we'll get through that conversation without turning it into a shotting match. So anyway... <clears throat> Looking forward to it all. We'll be back on, let's say, Tuesday for the uh, for the Buffalo show after I get it uh, edited and everything on Monday. We'll say Tuesday for Buffalo and then Thursday or Friday for the Pats Pulpit and the New England Patriots. 
and then we'll wrap up the AFC East. Move on to the NFC West with the 49ers, Rams, Seahawks, and uh, Cardinals. Yeah, that's who I forgot there. So, anyway, we'll be back on on Tuesday with Buffalo and the, the with Buffalo and the Bills and Sean Murphy helping us get through that. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts.